John. Hey, Steve Shanley. How are you? I'm doing well. We're going to try something new. I like it. What are we doing? We had some people reach out kind of formally through the podcast and then informally to both of us. Just wondering, am I doing a good job? Am I a successful music teacher? It's nice that they're thinking that. It's nice that people want to know that. But then, how do we measure that? And that's that was the direct question that we got from one of our listeners. How do you measure success? How do you know if someone's being a successful teacher or not? And I think the answer is obvious, isn't it, Steve? You win as many contests as possible. Yeah, I think so. And if you're second place at all those contests, then not successful? Correct. End of episode, cue credits. You've been listening yeah. to Music Ed Insights. Ah. <laughs> But in all seriousness, you and I, as we were kind of debating what this should look like and should we have a specific guest on to address this, it sort of became clearer to us that this could be a multi-part conversation between the two of us and wisdom, insight from our guests and just other things that we've picked up along the way and dividing it into some different categories. Maybe are you successful? because your culture of your program or your music program looks a certain way. And one of the most obvious places that we thought we would start was this idea of competition and how that could or could not be a measure of your success as a teacher. And I think that was fresh off of our brains because full disclosure, the two of us help run one of the nation's largest competitive jazz festivals. Uh, and then at Coe College, I run another one of the largest competitive jazz festivals where bands come and are ranked against one another. So <laughs> one could easily get the impression that Alan and Steve are like really into uh, seeing which bands can win things. And uh, that's that's not entirely true. I think that we like to make a really cool experience happen for musicians and and their directors. So we were obviously joking when we said, here's how you know if a teacher is successful. They go to competitive events and they win them. That's how you measure it. And, and it's obvious to us and to the listeners that we're joking. And yet, there are people out there who think that if you are a director who leads an ensemble, who wins competitive events, they must be good. Are they wrong? I thought about that too, because my bio for many years included accomplishments that involved groups under my leadership being selected for something over other groups. Mm -hmm. And when you read biographies of people in our profession, that is often one of the things that, that they like to point out as an indicator that they know their stuff. And so, yes, I was actually going to pose the same question to you, that is it possible to have those accolades and not be successful, not know what you're doing? Or the converse, is it possible to never have those accolades and be really great? And I feel like the conventional wisdom among music teachers is that, well, if you are winning a whole bunch of things, you're probably pretty good. And that kind of, I feel like, just seems to be pretty much accepted. And along with that, also accepted well, just because you don't win things doesn't mean you're not a successful teacher. Has that been your take? Yeah, I think one of those things is more true than the other. 
I think that if you do engage in competition and groups under your direction tend to place well, you probably know how to do what it takes to teach in a way that wins competitions. And one might argue that that shows some success because the music is sounding good. One of my musical role models, Dr. Dr. Bob Lee, always said one rule in music, make it sound good. So if it sounded good, you must be doing something well. Students are buying in, you're programming well, uh, you, can, you can diagnose and prescribe and, and uh, run some good rehearsals. So I think in general, that's true. But the, the other part, there, you and I both know so many teachers and, and our listeners know so many teachers who, for whatever reason, did not make competitive events a big part of their annual program. Um, whether they teach middle school, high school, um, they just didn't do as much of that. And yet they quietly did amazing things with their students. And, and how do we know? Maybe their ensemble got picked to be a clinic band or, or a performing band at a conference, or uh, maybe we're in the same conference as they are. And, you know, we've been to ball games and heard their pep band it kind of represents them. Or we see that in that solo and small ensemble contest. And, and while that's also a competition, it doesn't have quite the same, you know, size of trophies as a, a show choir invitational might. So, so we do know teachers who are successful there. But I, I do, I do think it's fair to say if somebody does well competitively, they're probably successful. Well, but you had a caveat: they're successful at knowing what to do to make the band <laughs> successful at a competition. Yes. Yeah. We we know directors who um, might rehearse. Uh, 12 minutes worth of music for a very, very long time. And then that creates something that wins a competition. Um, and we know other directors who might prepare um, hours worth of music, whether we're talking jazz, concert, um, you know, pop, choral pop, whatever it is, um, and, and still, still get a lot of good music out of people. So it is, it is a caveat. You just said something that I thought we might discuss in another episode, but since you brought it up, and I do think it applies to competition, this idea of polishing 12 minutes of music versus learning hours of music. And I was thinking about this, and we make these comparisons between music and language all the time, that it's a lot like learning a world language, and you need to hear it spoken by people who are fluent native speakers, and then you want to sound like that, whether it's playing a Bach cello suite or an African folk song or whatever that might be. And so if we take this analogy of music being a language and we're learning about language, say in a high school language arts class, would I rather that my children are in a class where for one term they have three books they're going to read To Kill a Mockingbird and Where the Red Fern Grows and All Quiet on the Western Front or whatever. They're only going to use those three books, but they're going to learn a lot about them. And they're going to know those books, the plot inside and out, all of the techniques that went into it, the history behind it. And they're going to be very, very, very good at those books. <laughs> or they read 12 books. And they kind of understood them, but at least they had 12 books in front of them. I used to be of the mindset that, well, if you're learning more music, your, your students are learning more. And I'm not sure I feel that way anymore. 
I could see an argument to be made for, let's read three books this term and really understand them as opposed to 12 books and not understand them at all. And I think that plays into the competition part because in language arts class, obviously they're not competing against one another. So there isn't this incentive for the teacher to only focus on three books because they're going to have to compete against the other school's language arts class. Whereas with what we do in music, whether it's middle school, show choir, high school orchestra, if we're going to some sort of competition and we're going to be held to either a standard or compared to other groups, then it is to our competitive advantage to do that. And I feel like because that is a competitive advantage, the idea of learning those pieces in depth has become kind of a pejorative thing. Have you thought about this? I have. And, and I think of two quotes that I've heard uh, and some experiences I've had myself, but a couple of a quote. Well, I'm not going to be able to directly quote, uh, but uh, Kenny Werner, um, effortless mastery, jazz pianist, right? Am I remembering? Yep. Yeah. Um, I once heard him say that we pick on directors who tweak things perfectly and do the short or do the, the, the fewer number of tunes and get them perfect. We treat them unfairly when we judge them harshly. Because he says that you learn a lot more about music in general if you really crawl inside a piece and really get to know it and everything you can possibly learn about it. And you can't do that if you're learning 40 charts at once. But, but if you're learning one, two, or three, you can really crawl in and learn it. And I also had a professor, maybe you had the same professor um, up at UNI, University of Northern Iowa, who said that one of his most rewarding summers was spent doing nothing but studying and analyzing and, 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 and playing through and singing through Bach's Mass in B minor. He felt like he understood Bach's Mass in B minor better than any other piece of music and better than anybody else on the planet because he spent an entire summer digging in and, and it made him appreciate all music that way. So when I've shared this with some directors who look down on the tweaking the, 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 the small number of pieces of music to, to perfection, they've said, yeah, but is that really what's happening? Are you really taking students and helping them completely understand um, Jalapeno Dreams by Doug Beach and everything that it represents? Um, or are they just making sure that every single eighth note is falling into the groove perfectly and every note is in tune um, so that the solo kickoff sounds really cool? Right, and all due respect to Doug Beach, who I feel was a pioneer in terms of educational jazz literature and helping us figure out what articulation should look like. So I don't mean this uh, in a negative way against him. Let's put the repertoire aside because I think that's another discussion that can fall under, are we successful teacher or not? And let's just assume for the sake of today's discussion that the repertoire is high quality, however you want to define that. And I think then the argument to that would be, and again, I feel like this gets a negative connotation because it's people who are either doing it because they want to win or the end result is they win. And let's go back to the language example. If you listened to the same act of, of a Shakespeare play being recited or acted out over and over and over and over and over, even if our teaching was not excellent, but we assume that the product itself is really, really good. 
isn't just simply being exposed to that quality over and over and over, eventually going to do some good for the student. They're going to start to make some connections. So musically, they're going to start to hear some things. Musically, maybe three weeks into the process of learning this jalapeno dreams, whether the director says anything or not, they make the connection. I finally get it. This is what quarter and two eighth notes sound like. And yeah. that from going on after that, every time they see quarter, two eighths, because they spent so much time playing it and looking at the symbols on the page, their brains are starting to make some of those connections. And effective teaching will connect that a bit more. That, that effective teaching will, will transfer that knowledge. That when you pull out another piece of music, you say something like, you know, this this kind of dissonant figure that, that doesn't take that doesn't resolve immediately and we got to like lean into the, the dissonant notes that we did that in october and we did that in american elegy and we're going to do it in this piece also uh and then that i think that's an effective thing that teachers do in order to make that happen and then that's where you see some consistent success meaning music that sounds good uh over time I feel like we could talk about just this for a long time, but I think we can leave that part of the discussion for now and just encourage teachers to consider if you are performing a lot of music or not very much music or maybe not performing, but putting in front of the students to at least put some thought. We're, we're told, give some thought to the repertoire you pick. Is it the right difficulty level? Is it quality and so on and so on? I don't think we're often encouraged to give as much thought to the amount of repertoire that we pick and why. And I could see a scenario where more might be better and more educational, just as I could see a scenario where fewer minutes or fewer pieces or selections might also be educational for the students but it all depends you know that's assuming that the teacher is giving thought to why they are picking this many minutes or this many selections does that make sense oh totally totally and and i think uh one of our episodes that really went into that well was with, with travis cross uh, talking about you know when you do more difficult things when you do things that are less difficult we have to match it to the ability of the students and that's a part of successful teaching also is getting to know your students so well that you pick the literature that will provide the right amount of a flow you know if you know your chick sent me high psychology of flow it's it's challenging enough to keep people engaged but not so hard that it frustrates them that's really important your your language analogy your 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 what books are we going to read in, in language arts class analogy fits that as well you're not going to do any Dostoevsky in seventh grade, and you're probably not going to do Gary Paulson in, in AP Lit. So, but they're both great pieces of literature uh, to, to read. So when we think about competition right now, this discussion of how much or how little <laughs> literature to program that might allow us to be successful at a competition, I feel like those typically fall into two categories, ranked competitions where there is some sort of public result where Alan's choir 
is in first place and Steve's choir is in second place. And then there's competing against a standard where maybe both of our choirs get division two ratings. What are your thoughts on the benefits of one of those versus the other as helping a teacher define whether or not they are successful? Yes, yeah, this is real timely. We've both had a lot of conversations with directors in the last couple of weeks about this kind of thing as uh, as locally the, the jazz contest season reached its peak. Something that I think I think time has shown and experience has shown that here's what's helpful. Yes, the points are good so that you can see the relative strengths and weaknesses in your own teaching with your own ensemble. If you trust the adjudicator, if I'm getting 80% of the possible points with my students when it comes to ensemble sound and, and only 50% of the possible points when it comes to um, improvisation and solos, if we're thinking about jazz, or if I'm directing a choir and I get the highest number of points possible um, for diction and not not a lot of points for intonation, then that helps me decide what to focus on better. And I think that uh, rubrics like that, that, that measure you know, the, the, the benchmarks that we're shooting for when we teach, uh, that's, that's very instructive to let me know if I've been successful as a teacher. The danger, and I think, I think this is, I, I gotta uh, say it's dumb, to focus like a laser beam on the exact placement. I think it's okay to say, you know what, uh, Alan's choir uh, performed at the same competition as Steve's choir, and um, my choir out, outscored yours by, by 10 points, and so I took second, you took fourth. Um, so I must be a more successful teacher. I don't think that's helpful. I do think that if you look at a contest where everybody gets ranked and scored, you can start to see who's kind of hanging with who. And as a director, as a band director, I often uh, enjoyed looking over the years at which bands we were, you know, in there with. If you, if you took a batch of, of, of three, four, or five, and who are the bands that we're kind of hanging out with, whether we're at the bottom of that three, four, or five, or the top of that three, four, or five, you can see some bands of scores and think, okay, there's some good teaching going on at those schools. I like the way those ensembles sound. Um, here's something we haven't talked about yet is, their students also seem to be enjoying making music. My students seem to be enjoying making music. So um, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of where I, I think uh, it's okay for us to be. We, we, we've talked about divisional ratings a little bit. And uh, something I've heard said is there's no shame in a Division II rating because a Division II performance is often very entertaining and enjoyable for the performer and has a lot going for it. And so I, I don't think that we should look at a lot of... Uh, you know, division two versus division one ratings is a lack of success either for that reason. Because, and, and maybe this point doesn't fit here, Steve, but, but I thought of it earlier and I want to fit it in. Getting back to your reading class analogy, my, my spouse, Julie, was a reading teacher. And for a while, her mission was, by the end of this year, I want my students to love reading more than they did at the beginning of the year. She did that through some pretty quality literature and, and smart assignments, but the, the, the overall goal was the same. And I think that we have always wanted our students to enjoy music making uh, and enjoy that pursuit. And usually when people enjoy a pursuit, it's because they're pretty good at it or they're, they perceive that they're good at it and, and uh, they experience some sort of joy. Yeah, I agree with, with all of that. I think it's tricky because 
oftentimes will get a division one rating or a second place out of 15 and use that to maybe sell to our community or our administrators or our students that we are successful. And I feel like it's dangerous to do that because then when we do not get those things, then the implication is we're not successful and it's inconsistent. And I think the students and the families and the administrators pick up on that when we celebrate the wisdom of the judges and how not subjective music is when we get first place or division mm -hmm. one rating. Yep. But then when we get the division three rating or we don't get the placement we'd hoped, then we're talking about how subjective everything is. And music isn't like basketball. You can't just count the number of times the ball went into the basket and that sort of thing. And I would caution directors and you know, and we're talking about this, that some of my bios have had some of those very uh, positive results from very subjective music contests. But I didn't include in there all of the not great results <laughs> from, <laughs> from those subjective. I only included, obviously, the results that made me look good. And I think that's an important thing to think about as we determine if we're successful as a teacher or not. So for me, as we're having this discussion and we think about ranked competition or evaluative competition, for me, the successful music teacher does exactly what you said at the beginning of your answer, which is look at the ballot. Okay, we're doing pretty well on diction. We need to do better with our intonation. And that's what I'm going to work on going forward. That is a successful teacher, in my opinion, that they take the information that they are given at these competitive events and use it to inform their teaching. And uh -huh. they realize over the course of this whole spring, when I took my choir to these events, I noticed these types of comments or these types of scores lower in these categories. I need to be a better teacher in those areas. I'm going to learn more about that. And to me, that is much more successful than necessarily figuring out how to get a division one or a first place because if you're worried about that you're probably more worried about yourself whereas if you are noticing that you are not getting all of your points in diction pretty regularly and you want to fix that you're focusing on the students and what they need Steve, it sounds like you're saying that the scores themselves and the placements themselves don't illustrate success. But what happens after those scores and what the director does with that information? Yeah. And that's hard to witness. It's hard for other people to witness. You know, I think about the question that we were asked, which is how, how do you know if you're being successful or not? And people really want to apply an external standard to see if that's if that's what's happening. But it's not necessarily, what I'm hearing you say is it's not the standard, whether it's achieved or not, or to what extent the standard is achieved, it's whatever happened, what is that teacher gonna do next? Yeah, either more of, you nailed it, and, and you are going to do more of that because according to those random judges on that random day, 
that's what they wanted to hear. So you want to do more of that. Or maybe you decide, I need to go get a different perspective. We're going to go to a different type of competition or in a different area and, and get some different feedback or with a different ballot or whatever. But I think it's really, really difficult to hang your hat on selective contest results if we're not going to take the whole bucket together and recognize that that music is subjective we can't have it both ways we can't tell our our administrators music is subjective it's not like sports it's special in this way it's creative it's about beauty it's about art hey we got first place can we make sure to announce that on the announcements and be and be really proud of that like it's really difficult to have all, all of that mm -hmm. uh, to just hand pick the parts where it's just like sports and then not when it's sort of convenient for our argument. And that kind of comes back to the beginning of our discussion when we were sort of joking about the fact that we're with Tony Lefevre, the three of us running this thing called the Iowa Jazz Championships, which crowns a champion in the state of <laughs> Iowa and all of the music uh, classifications every year. And a lot of people could rightfully assume that that is very important to us and not speaking for you or for Tony, but for me, the reason I'm involved with it is not for that. It's for what it has done for jazz education in Iowa to encourage more teachers to learn more about jazz to give their students a better experience. So anytime I'm trying to think of something at that festival or my festival at Co that I have some control over to change or tweak or improve it is always about de-emphasizing the ranking or the the rating the the final place and more about how we can help the directors get information to make themselves better teachers and make a better experience for the students because this competition stuff is going to happen anyway and if you or i decided to take some moralistic stand against it some other people could come in and run the Iowa Jazz Championships or the Co College Jazz Festival, and it might look way less healthy. So, if we if we um, go back to our basic question here today, how do you measure success? How can you tell if a teacher is successful? And we we first or first episode discussing this, we talk about competition. What we've come up with is if a director leads ensembles that are competitively successful that means that they may be a successful teacher and uh and that if they don't engage in competition they might still be a successful teacher so logically uh competition and competitive competitive results might give us a clue but they don't really answer that question is this teacher successful or not i would agree with that i think they provide an avenue to help us know but I think there are plenty of programs out there. New Trier, for example, Matt, Matt Temple, our very first guest, where they find other ways. Matt has found other ways to get that sort of feedback on his teaching. And maybe it's bringing in someone to work with his groups. Maybe it's sending recordings of his concerts to people he respects and getting feedback from them. But I feel like if you want to use the competition as a way 
to maybe build some community, some excitement, have an excuse to put the kids on a bus, take them out of town, let them eat at the mall, let them hang out with one another. That I, I think there are a lot of good things that can come from that. And if we view it much more as a means than an end, I think that's going to help us probably consume less Pepto-Bismol. It, it sure would have helped me uh, if I would have uh, thought about it that way during the, the 10 or so years that I was in the thick of it. Oh, for sure. For sure. Well, the question on the table is, how do you measure success? How do you know if you're a successful teacher or not? And in today's episode, we explored competition as a way to get to the bottom of that. We've decided that's not totally it. That means we're going to have to do another episode on this topic, Steve. And I'm looking forward to it. You've been listening to Music Ed Insights. Please support this podcast by subscribing, rating, and reviewing it. We want to make this as thoughtful and practical as possible. Please send us your ideas for guests and suggestions for improvement. You can do that through our website, www.musicedinsights.com. You can also reach us on our Facebook page, Music Ed Insights, or via Twitter, at Music Ed Insights. Our website is also the place to find program notes, links, and a one-page download of this episode's key takeaways. That's www.musicedinsights.com insights.com. This podcast is sponsored and supported by Normal Design, Winterset Websites, Group Dynamic, and the Co-College Music Education Program. Learn more about them at our website. And let us know if your business or organization would like to join that list. New episodes drop every two weeks on Monday mornings. Get current. Stay relevant. Music Ed Insights.